Welcome to worship from Jessup First United Methodist Church. I'm the pastor, Reverend Rebecca Duke Barton, and I'm here with my husband, Reverend Garth Duke Barton, the pastor of Epworth United Methodist Church in Jessup. We're beginning a new series for the season of Lent. Lent is the 40-day period that leads up to Easter. It's from an old English word that means lengthen as the daylight lengthens each day of spring. I like to think about Lent as an opportunity to lengthen our time with God. So whether we give up something or take on a new spiritual discipline, we want to use our time to spend with God, the one who loves us so. We are beginning with the story of God's grace for David as Garth reads Psalm 51. The superscription of the psalm tells us that it's a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. As we read, we remember David's need for grace and for our own need for God's amazing grace. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, will open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The song Amazing Grace is 250 years old this year. It's one of those beloved songs that you could start singing in almost any group and they could pick right up and sing with you. It was actually written to be sung on New Year's Day, 1773, starting off the new year with a focus on grace, grateful for what God has brought us through and grateful that he's going to keep on leading us home. It seems like the perfect way to start off Lent too. So in honor of this anniversary, we're going to focus this Lent on God's amazing grace. As we think about the story of David, we tend to hold David up as a hero, as a man after God's own heart. But nothing about his interaction with Bathsheba was after God's heart. I know sometimes people try to blame Bathsheba for what happened because we're always trying to get ourselves off the hook for sin. But the Bible, through the prophet Nathan and through this Psalm 51, put the blame squarely on David. Look at the words in the Psalm that describe David's actions. Transgressions, iniquity, sin, evil. The man after God's own heart broke half of the Ten Commandments in the course of two chapters in the Bible. 
He coveted, committed adultery, bore false witness, took part in a murder, and he certainly wasn't honoring the Lord in all of that. The psalm says that sin is ever before us. And you know that. You know how it feels when you can't sleep at night because you feel terrible and you wonder if God even listens to your prayers because he knows what you've done. Did you read Lady Macbeth in high school? Um, I, I'm always a big Shakespeare fan. And so um, I mentioned Macbeth at our Ash Wednesday service and, and this story. And I didn't realize that the current 10th graders were in fact reading Macbeth. So they told me I spoiled the story for them. Maybe this won't be too much of a spoiler for you. So Lady Macbeth kills the king so that her husband can become king. And then she walks around the rest of the play trying to wash the king's blood off her hands. You watch her in the play slowly going insane because no matter how many times she washes her hands, she does not feel that they're clean. No one else can see the blood, but she feels it. My sin is ever before me. If we're honest with ourselves, David's story is our story too. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our lives are filled with resentment and anger. We have a guilty conscience because we hurt someone, sometimes on purpose, or we were dishonest at work, or we did something we regret. Or maybe like David, we're generally fine, upstanding people. We love the Lord. We do the right thing. Most of the time, most of the time, but there's that thing that we've done that we aren't proud of, that we just can't forgive ourselves for, and we wonder if God can forgive us. I'm a Christian, but is God still going to love me after what I've done? Have I committed an unforgivable sin? Psalm 51 isn't just David's psalm. It's the psalm of all sinners. It's David's story, but it's my story, and I suspect it's your story too. Verses 4 and 5 tell us something more about the sin. It's almost surprising to read. Against you and you alone have I sinned, David says to God. Really? What he did to Bathsheba wasn't a sin against her? Having Uriah killed wasn't a sin against him? I don't think the psalm is saying that our sins don't hurt other people. They usually do. Sometimes, like in this case, they cause a lot of hurt to other people. But what the psalm is saying is that all sin is about putting ourselves before God. It wasn't so much that David broke particular commandments. It was that he thought the commandments didn't apply to him. The commandments are meant to be a covenant with God. And sin breaks that relationship. Sin casts us out of God's presence. And here's the real kicker. There is nothing we ourselves can do to fix it. We have sinned and we cannot save ourselves. No matter how much we wash, we can't get our hands clean. It's hard to admit our own sin in this painfully honest manner. We love the idea of a self-made man. We want to think we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We try to justify ourselves. We haven't done half of what David did. But the truth of the matter, if we really look at ourselves, we feel exactly as David did. Broken, dirty, and far away from God. 
And that's where God's amazing grace comes in. We read this psalm and we hear the voice of the sinner. And if the sinner were the only figure in the psalm, he would be doomed and so would we. But this psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer to the God who loves us so. God is here too. Sin isn't the end of the story. Sin isn't actually even the beginning of our story. If we look back at the first two verses of the psalm, we see that even before the mention of sin, there is God. God's mercy, his abundant mercy, and his steadfast love. The sinner's story starts with God and his grace. God is at work in our lives before we even know it. Methodists call that prevenient grace, the grace that goes before us. It's the grace that taught my heart to fear. We focus so much on ourselves and on what we've done, and that's going to make us lose our joy. But if we turn our focus and we focus on God and who he is, we start to see a change. God loves us. He forgives us. He wants to restore us. There's God's grace. And when we see God's grace, we experience the joy of our salvation. God cleans away all of the sin, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, and cleanse me from my sins. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Have you ever written on a dry erase board or a chalkboard and swiped it over when, you're, when you were done just with your hand? It's sort of erased, but not really. It's faded, but it's still there. Sometimes we think that's how God is about forgiveness. We think God forgives, but he's still counting our sin against us. Though our sins had been as scarlet, now they are light pink. No, beloveds, that isn't God's way. When God washes, when God cleanses, when God blots out iniquity, it is gone. It is as though the sin never existed. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. But grace, my fear, relieves. That's God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Methodists call that justifying grace. We are wretches, but God saved us. Oh, thanks be to God. All of the metaphors that the psalm used so far are about removing sin. But here's the problem. David is still a human being, and even if the sins he has committed so far are blotted out, washed, and cleansed, he's going to get dirty again. In verse 10, he asks for something more. He wants a new heart. He doesn't just want his sin gone. He wants God to change who he is. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. It's an interesting thing about this word create. It isn't all that common of a word in the Bible. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I don't think this is an accident that it's the same word used in Genesis 1 and Psalm 51. God created humans and he blew a spirit into them. And now David wants that for himself. He wants God to recreate him just as it was in the beginning, before the fall, before sin. I want that now. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. The psalmist isn't only asking for an end to one particular sin, one particular transgression, a one-time bath. 
He wants to be in God's presence. He wants God's Holy Spirit with him. Jesus has said that a person had to be born from above, born again. And that's just what the psalmist is asking for. Now, here's the part that I particularly love. Remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word for create is only ever used when God is the subject. So what our Hebrew grammar lesson is telling us that is that only God creates. In the Bible, humans may make, build, construct, but we do not create. So when David prays and when we pray, create in me a clean heart, O God, what we're saying to God is, do this for me because I cannot do it for myself. I can't create a new heart, but God can. God can in Jesus Christ. Do you know the joke about the scientist who said to God, we know so much more about the human body now. Our technology is so advanced that we could make a human being from scratch. That's right. We could be like God and create a human being. And God says, okay, I'll accept that challenge. I created a human from the dirt of the ground. So the scientist says, okay, no problem. I'll do it just the same way. So he reaches down to pick up a clump of dirt and God says, no, 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 get your own dirt. Only God creates. And it's true for the first humans, but it is also true of those new hearts. We need Jesus. We need his death. We need his resurrection. We need the salvation that only Jesus brings. Just as God took the first dust and breathed into us the first human breath of life, so God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, takes that old heart, that old life, and makes us something entirely new, a new life, a new heart, born again into a new creation. It's not just that God can create a new heart. It's that he wants to. When we ask God to create in us a new heart, we don't have to beg and plead and hope he will listen. This is what God wants to do. Joel 2 says, rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. It's echoed throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is creating new hearts, mending our relationships, and restoring to us the joy of our salvation. Now, as we're reading through the psalm, up until now, the psalm has been full of pain. It's about sin. But now in verse 13, the tone changes. The psalm looks forward to the time when the cleansing has happened. For the rest of the psalm, David speaks as one who trusts that God will do what he has asked. David makes promises to God about how his life will change. I will teach transgressors your ways. My tongue will sing aloud your deliverance. My mouth will declare your praise. Every part involved in speech has a role here. Lips, tongue, mouth. He is now praising God with everything he's got. It's a total change. It's as though he's emptied himself. And now he's able to fill himself up with God. 
his lips, his tongue, his mouth, all singing the praises of God. And is there any song sweeter than the song of the redeemed? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. In the final section of the psalm, we see the third way that grace is at work in our lives. When God creates in us a new heart, that is in the end. He wants us to live in a new holy way. John Wesley called it sanctifying grace. To sanctify means to make holy. Our lives change and we become more and more like Jesus. The inward change is reflected in everything we do, including, as the last two verses explain, how we worship together. Verses um, 16 and 17 say that God doesn't want burnt offerings. A proper sacrifice to God is a broken and contrite heart. But then in verse 19, God says that he will delight in burnt offerings. What I think the psalm is telling us is that the only way that God does want our offerings, the thing that will restore the joy of our salvation, is to let God's grace create a new heart in us and live into that holy life that God has for us. The psalm tells David's story. The psalm tells my story. Is the psalm telling your story? Or do you want it to be? Do you know what really struck me last year about the beginning of Lent? We start off with ashes on our forehead, reminding us that we are dust. But they're ashes in the shape of a cross. We die to our old selves, and our hearts and lives become shaped by the life of Christ. This season that begins reminding us that we are mortal culminates in an invitation to new life. It is the grace of God that can turn ashes into life and a dirty old heart into a new joyful heart. It is the grace of God, and it is amazing. Will you pray with me? O God, our Heavenly Father, the God of all grace and steadfast love, we come to you knowing that we have sinned, we have done evil in your sight, we are broken. Bring us to the cross of Jesus, cleanse us of our sins, and do what only you can do. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In the mighty name of the one who died so that we might have life, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.